hello everyone and welcome to today's webinar. It's just gone one o'clock, so I'm just going to give everyone a chance to join. Um, do feel free to drop into the Q&A box and say hi. Uh, we've disabled the chat feature as we've discovered it can cause problems for some people using screen readers. So I'm glad you can all make it today. Um, just going to make a start now. So hello everyone. Uh, welcome to the 12th session now in our Accessibility Insights series, where AbilityNet's Head of Digital Inclusion, Robin Christofferson, hosts a monthly online chat with individuals who are each working to improve digital accessibility and digital inclusion. And this month, he's chatting to Larry Goldberg, who's Head of Accessibility at Verizon Media. I'm Annie Mannion, and I'm Digital Communications Manager at AbilityNet, and I'll be running you through today's session. So just to go through a few bits of housekeeping, uh, we have live captions provided today by MyClearText. You can turn on the captions using the CC option on the control panel. And additional captions are available via streamtext.net forward slash player question mark event equals AbilityNet. And slides are available at slideshare.net forward slash AbilityNet and also on our website at abilitynet.org.uk forward slash Verizon dash webinar. If you have any technical issues and you need to leave early, uh, don't worry, you'll receive an email in a couple of days time with the recording, the transcript and the slides. And depending on how you joined the webinar, you'll find a Q&A window. If you'd like to ask Larry or Robin any questions, do drop those in the Q&A area for them to address. And they'll do that um, after today's session in a follow up blog on our website at Verizon dash webinar. Um, finally, we also have a feedback survey that you'll be directed to at the end, which invites you to tell us about any future topics you'd like us to cover in our webinars. So that's all from me for now. So over to Robin and Larry. Thank you, Annie and Larry. Thank you so much for joining me, Senior Director and Head of Accessibility at Verizon Media. Um, first question, really corny one, ask all of our uh, interviewees, all of our guests, what drink have you got to help you get through this ordeal? You know, um, it's a dangerous question for me, explicitly. Uh, your advanced question said hot beverage. I'm kind of a coffee obsessive. Mm -hmm. And if you want to take up the entire next half hour, I'll tell you about the dark, oily African whole beans that I buy fresh every week, put them through my Cuisinart burr grinder, do a pour over in my Chemex single cup coffee maker and drink only one cup a day because it is so strong I can barely handle it. So oh, that's yeah. my world of morning coffee and I'm sticking to it. I got a, sir. I've got a cup of tea. Cup of tea. <laughs> Although I do got, yeah, coffee. The Cuisinart, wasn't that the spaceship on Spaceballs? I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> yes, that's, <it> was. <laughs> that's really good. Um, wow. Have you been into cold brewing at all? Uh, to where? Cold brewing. It's like a oh yeah 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 drip wow. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're just about to change uh, our season, so um, yeah, I will be switching over to iced, uh, and pour over over ice is really a, a nice taste too. So wow. yeah, we do switch to cold uh, right around now. Wow, brilliant! Wow, that's good. That was the most comprehensive answer so far. <laughs> Top marks. You're doing well. Um, so okay, to the actual questions. Then this is when I always start with you know, let's look back at 10 years. It's the happens to be the duration of, of Global Accessibility Awareness Day. Um, and 
over that period, so much has changed in the landscape of accessibility. What for you are your sort of main takeaways? What are the, the biggest changes that have happened? I, you know, I totally agree with you. I've been in the field of accessible technology uh, for over 30 years. Uh, and we have seen a remarkable change, not just in the past 10 years, the past five, even the past one has been remarkable. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. think it starts not with technology, but with people's hearts and minds uh, and awareness. Uh, awareness is growing of the diverse ways people use technology and who's being left out. Uh, and with that greater attention and understanding, uh, we're seeing a lot more involvement from companies, large and small, uh, when they're developing their technology, there's a greater chance, not an ultimate chance, but a greater chance that they will take into account web accessibility, app accessibility, media accessibility from the beginning. Uh, so I'm really just uh, basking in the glow of the fact that accessibility is having its day. I hope it's not just a day. I think we're here to stay. What do you attribute that to? I agree, by the way, completely. It's been a massive shift. Is it legislation? Is it the fact that accessibility is increasingly built in these days? Is it the business case? Yeah, I think it's part of everything and, and a new generation. Uh, I will add that um, the technologies are making it much more readily doable to make sure you build accessibly. Yes. The legislation certainly was a, a good stick to start with. The business case is the carrot. Um, but I tell you, one of the things that is most meaningful to me, and I spend a lot of time with college students, is to see how much they are embracing the notion of designing accessibly uh, and how much they've actually been there. Uh, and they ask great questions and they think very forward. So I am very much... Uh, looking forward to working with all the recent college grads and PhDs because they're really showing they've got what it takes. So are they coming out with an appreciation of accessibility broadly or if they just had one seminar on it, one module on it? More broadly, and I think it's even beyond accessibility, it is the diversity issue. Uh, as you, we probably hear as the, the world is newly grappling with issues around diversity and racial justice, this generation doesn't think twice about someone being different from them sitting next to them, different mm -hmm. in any number of ways. And they're just like, sure. Oh, you can't use uh, the mouse? All right, let me come up with a different way of uh, operating your device. Uh, it just feels like it's a mindset that's much more willing to understand the differences among people and therefore how that translates. Absolutely. Is there a recognition within Verizon Media that the the teams working on your projects, on your products and services need to be diverse? You know, we've seen tech faux pas, um, major hiccups in the past where the teams weren't diverse enough. Is that a kind of a concerted effort or policy strategy within Verizon Media? It sure is. It sure is. Um, we have just put together our very first product inclusion team. And what's interesting about this, and other companies have done it, uh, certainly at Google and at Adobe and elsewhere, that this isn't just about uh, the DEI division within HR, that is diversity, equity, and inclusion, and hiring. It's about how we build things. How do we build our products that is inclusive and accessible? And we've actually now have a team that's doing that. 
Uh, it is part of almost every division of what the company does from procurement and human resources and marketing. Uh, it, it's really pervading the company. Absolutely. Yeah. And you can see that in how seriously you take accessibility. Is there within you know, a company like Verizon Media unique or kind of specific challenges around the, the content, the services that you deliver to try and make them as inclusive as possible? Because they're very varied. Well, we, we learn from a lot of others in the industry. You know, it's, it's great. The accessibility um, executives, managers and workers at all the big tech companies in the U.S. and throughout the world, we all talk to each other and we all learn from each other. Um, our unique uh, uh, need and approach is that we generate a lot of media and we create a lot of apps. We're very much mobile oriented. And a lot of what we do is live. Like we do a live uh, Yahoo Finance show. We call it bell to bell. It's from the time the stock market opens in New York until it closes live for eight hours. Okay, so we need to make all that accessible to people who can't hear. We need to make the app accessible, the video controls. So we've got kind of a, uh, a broad range of things that we need to focus on to assure that we are being fully accessible. And then we have partnerships left, right, up and down. So we're working with a lot of people outside our own company that we need to influence. Uh, and that's an added uh, challenge, uh, but it's an added opportunity. Mm -hmm. And that makes me think of shift left, which is kind of a buzz phrase at the moment. So, you know, in the most extreme instance, accessibility is kind of an afterthought. It's a bolt on. It's just for that group over there in the corner. So, you know, let's kind of think about it in those terms, whereas we both know that it's for every single user, you know, sliding up and down the impairment spectrum, you know, using your phone one handed, um, noisy cafe, whatever it might be, sunny day on a small sheet of shiny glass. So this really is for every single person. And so the more you can embed it in your processes, shift it left right through to procurement and your vendors and your suppliers that you can then, you know, make it an effective, efficient, um, manageable process that you can, you know, deal with going forward. And it's not just bumping from one crisis to another. Yeah, we love those two words, shift left. We also love the two words, born accessible. Mm -hmm. That is right from the get-go. We are thinking about accessibility. But then at the other end, we added two more words, which is no regression. Because way too many companies will work very hard to make a website or an app, piece of media accessible. And then they change it and break everything. So it's almost equally important that we have no regression on top of born accessible. And luckily, because, you know, the engineering mindset is to do things really efficiently and achieve operational excellence. When you look at uh, the end result that you want, it just makes too much sense to uh, start at the very beginning. Uh, bolting on is inelegant and engineers should be ashamed if they have to slap something on at the very end, nor do they want their product holded, uh, held up from launch. Uh, because there's some accessibility bugs. Uh, and we are actually instituting something called the A-Bugs program, uh, which will be that every one of our accessibility bugs will be reported and labeled as such uh, to match our S-Bugs for security bugs. So we're right there side by side with security. Will an A-Bug hold up the release of a version? That or is the intention. 
that we can put a pause. Now it hasn't been instituted yet. So this is in development right now, but yeah, that's, that's the plan. That's brilliant. I mean, Apple at the Vanguard areas of accessibility gets an awful lot of stick when they put out even a point release that has a regression in there, but that's because there is just so much um, value that they've built up over the years and um, loyalty within their users that they really do feel betrayed if they bring out something that breaks something for them. And there's a huge uh, conversation around whether those should be bugs that, you know, prevent the publication, the release of it, even if it's just a point software. Yeah, well, Apple set a very high bar for themselves, and I don't think they're uh, problemed or troubled by that. They know they're going to have uh, some fixes once in a while, but mm -hmm. they're so high up in terms of their consistency and how they build out. Mm -hmm. um, now, A-bugs will each be assigned levels of priority, too. A0, A1, A2, and each of those will have uh, timelines for fixing. Uh, so, you know, because of uh, one very low level bug won't necessarily hold things up, um, but there are certain things that are stoppers. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Absolutely. Okay, let's talk about the time frame. You mentioned about how things even in the last year have changed a lot and that won't surprise anyone of course because it was 2020 after all um that where everything changed so with the advent of covid home working everyone you know sh the, the enhanced focus on digital um the ever you know increasing laser focus on on pushing everything to digital how has that impacted verizon media you personally and what you know takeaways have you or Verizon Media had from the experience of, you know, the last 12 or 16 months? Well, it's very interesting. We do have our roots in Silicon Valley. So we do have uh, somewhat of a, a California mindset of take risks, build fast, fail fast, fix, let's keep moving and moving, you know, pretty progressive in that way. Uh, this past year taught us a lot. Uh, we always learn from the community, you know, why have things changed so radically in the past five years? It's because the user community is stepping up and making sure they're heard loudly, clearly um, in many ways. So social media has helped tremendously. Uh, for us, the past year has been, of course, interesting in that the idea of working from home mm -hmm. uh, in some ways means we better up our game on the tools we need to use when we're working from home. Uh, our parent corporation, Verizon, bought a, a video conferencing um, a company called Blue Jeans. And as soon as that acquisition started, we immediately were talking to them about making sure their tools were accessible, immediately. Uh, and we knew that they wanted to be a very big enterprise level tool. Well, if you're gonna be reaching people in their, particularly their workplaces, you better pay attention to accessibility. So our working from home has absolutely uh, impacted our employees uh, with a, a heightened focus on accommodations. And for our users, uh, it might've been somewhat seamless. This show I told you about Yahoo Finance, Bell to Bell, they pivoted from in-studio to in-home studios, I think over a weekend. It was amazing. And with virtual backgrounds, uh, a lot of computers moving into people's living rooms, 
uh, they didn't miss a beat. So in many ways, they were able to pick it up and make the best of it. Uh, for my team, for us, once again, we're learning a lot from the community we're serving. Uh, and very interesting feedback we're getting that for some people with disabilities, this has been a boon. Mm -hmm. This has actually been better for them mm -hmm. uh, because of the transportation, the workplace, the fact that everyone's interactions are digitally mediated means maybe a little bit more of a level playing field. And that's been fascinating to hear about. Uh, and, and we're paying attention to that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a double-edged sword in many cases. For me, I've been working from home for many years now, and it's definitely my preferred. I think I'm gonna push back on any event mm. where they, you know, ask me to come and speak in person. You know, they're probably gonna be hybrid events going forward for some time. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, that will always be an option because it's just so much more productive, less stress. And, you know, like myself, you can't see, there's always logistics involved. And so it's just such a, a less stressful, more efficient way of, of working. But at the same time, I appreciate there's isolation, there's lack of, you know, on-hand support, particularly physical. If people Well, got I've got that. a very good example about how hybrid has to work. The first time I met anyone from MobilityNet was in person at your event in London mm -hmm. uh, in November of 2019. And it was a, a fantastic gathering of people, especially because I was getting out of the U.S., for once to meet a cohort of people from all over the world. Um, and those relationships are lasting and they really did um, open our eyes to a whole different community. So I will always feel uh, drawn to probably a lot less number of in-person mm -hmm. events, uh, but our scale can also be so much wider. Yeah. Um, I work on this collaborative called Teach Access, working with college students and universities. And we used to bring 20 or 30 college students out to Silicon Valley and have them spend the day at Apple, Facebook, Verizon Media, uh, Google. And what an incredible experience it was for those students to have a full week of total immersion. Um, but this year we did it virtually and we quadrupled the number of students who were involved because we could do it online. So we have to balance them both. Absolutely. Yeah. And if people want to do face to face, that's absolutely fine. Um, obviously, I'll make an exception for TechShare Pro as and when <laughs> that gets back <laughs> IRL. But um, yeah, absolutely. Um, we're going to be revisiting your trip to TechShare Pro a couple of years ago um, at the end. But so let's just go forward then. Let's look at what's next. What is either next for accessibility, in your opinion? or what needs to change next? You know, what's perhaps the next one, two, 10 years gonna look like, or what do you think needs to happen to keep pushing the agenda forwards? Yeah, we, um, we're very interested in what is, whatever is the next new emerging technology, particularly mass market. So a, a couple of years ago, we began seeing how uh, virtual reality, augmented reality looked like after many attempts was going to be the next big thing. Now, it was going to be the next big thing a number of times. We have to recognize that. Uh, and in the gaming world, it absolutely is. Uh, but we looked at it as not just, oh, look, it's a new shiny toy, but it's a template for how do we deal with new and emerging technologies. When was the last time we had such a disruption, <coughs> excuse me, of how we 
uh, interface with technologies. And for many of us, thinking back, it was the iPhone. Mm -hmm. This was such a paradigm shift. And how we all, and Apple in particular, dealt with accessibility there was a learning experience. And now we're looking at how that happened and applying it to XR. We call it XR Access. I formed an organization called xraccess.org. And we're having a big symposium on June 10. Everyone's invited. And we're also using this as a template for what's next. Let's be prepared the next time we spot something on the horizon that looks like it's going to really enter all of our lives, our work lives, our school lives, our entertainment lives, our social lives, and get ready. Be prepared next time so that when adoption is at the better than 50% level, it will have born, it will be born accessible. So I can't predict what might be next. Um, so many possibilities coming at us. Right now we're putting our effort into virtual reality. Absolutely. I mean, virtual reality and augmented reality have huge question marks over them for both, you know, what inclusion, real inclusion looks like, and also what what will they offer for us in two, five years time? You know, will it just be niche applications or will everybody be benefiting, benefiting from that? And, you know, what will that look like? I'm really excited for that space. Okay, um, let's finish off then uh, by first putting to you some comments and a question from our guests last month. So we were really lucky to have Jenison Asuncion and Joe Devon, co-founders of Guard, as we mentioned at the beginning, uh, Global Accessibility Awareness Days. There's been 10 of them, you know, 10, 10th anniversary this year. And um, they were full of praise for you who you are, the energy and enthusiasm uh, you, you know you bring to your role at Verizon Media, but also just what a brilliant guy you are. Honestly, go back and I don't know if you've heard that one, but go back and listen to their their praise. It was fantastic. Jenison mentioned about you know TechShare Pro two Novembers ago, and he said that it, it, he will never forget the time that you guys went to that jazz concert. And um, just what a brilliant time you had and what a brilliant guy you were. So yeah, you don't need to comment on that one at all. But Joe, um, he put a question to you and it was around auto captioning. So hopefully you'll be able to respond to this one. So auto captioning, obviously, you know, that's built into many platforms these days and it does more or less a good job. But the specific question he had was, um, when there are expletives, when there's swearing, for example, or maybe hate speech or something, what should the auto caption algorithms do? Should they bleep those out? Should they censor those? Is that the job of a broadcast company, for example, um, to make those moral decisions? If other people, if hearing people can, can hear those, then is that something that, that hearing impaired people should have access to as well. And he also said, and if it's auto, you know, it's gonna make mistakes. So what happens if it accidentally bleeps out other things that, you know, it mis kind of interprets as uh, offensive language and that that might change the meaning of the content as well. Yeah, I love Joe's question. Um, and first of all, I did watch Jenison's, uh, uh, 
his encomiums to me. And it really, I, I teared up because uh, he's such a good pal. Mm -hmm. And we love that concert we went to uh, just across the Thames. Uh, we saw Rhiannon Giddens uh, and it was really an amazing night. Um, so I really appreciate what Jenison had to say. For Joe, it's almost like uh, he was reading my mind because I talk about this stuff all the time. And when I used to run the caption center at WGBH in Boston where captioning was started, uh, we had to deal with this question of censorship, editing. Do we go verbatim? This is when humans were creating all the captions. And it was a, a hard and fast rule. If it's in the audio, there we have no role whatsoever to censor or to cut it out. If hearing people are exposed to the swear words, and you know, it's funny, uh, you Brits are so good at profanity. You're really the tops. So uh, <laughs> always admire your your facility with uh, edgy language. But uh, no, we, we who caption have absolutely no role to feel like we somehow have to protect deaf and hard of hearing people who rely on captions. If you can hear it, you should see it. And it might be a little more stark when you see that profanity in text, uh, but we're just trying to translate what's heard. Now, when you apply automatic speech recognition where uh, they will put uh, F asterisk, asterisk, asterisk when the F word is said uh, in, the, in the audio, uh, no, if it's if it's heard, it should be seen. And if that censorship is done in ASR engines in order to uh, avoid mistakenly using those words when they shouldn't be heard, mm -hmm. all I can say is improve your damn speech recognition engine and don't make <laughs> such mistakes. Uh, this is a bad workaround. Uh, so to me, it's just an indication of, you know what? Before you start pushing ASR captioning on the world, maybe you need to improve your product a little bit so you don't run into things like pulling up words that weren't spoken and are misheard because people are talking over each other because the audio is bad. It's like, hey, you need to get up to speed because people need it and are relying on it. Uh, put this as a priority on your development plan, uh, but don't censor. Yep. I like it. I wish that was applied. I don't say this lightly, but I don't often watch salacious material on TV, for example, but the audio description is a million miles away from describing what other people can see. Just saying that there is major censorship going on there, or at least kind of um, delicacy on the part of the scriptwriters there. So yeah, that's not an equal experience for blind TV watchers there. Just saying that. Um, I can't believe that I'm, you know, advocating for um, more graphical descriptions. But anyway, yeah, so I don't think there's a quality there. Um, brilliant. Thank you very much. So very finally, then our next guest next month is Richard Morton. He's from the Central Digital and Data Office. This is like the, the body that monitors and reports on inaccessible websites here in the UK. Finally, they are doing some proactive enforcement of the legislation and it's really helped, you know, raise the, the level of activity in that sector anyway, in the public government sector. So have you got anything that you'd like to pass on to Richard for him to comment or respond to? Well, first of all, I'd like to say uh, you have our total support, go for it. Um, I think education is essential. 
Um, people may feel uncomfortable with government uh, having an overriding rule over internet content and technology. But in fact, once they understand what we're talking about, that you're just trying to broaden audiences and making sure everyone has equal, equal access, I think that as that office begins reporting on inaccessible websites, which we know are plenty, Mm -hmm. uh, I think the educational aspect and being sure that people with disabilities are front and center in the process will also uh, be a tremendous help for any of the companies who are called out to really understand this is good for society it's, and it's good for business as well uh, and uh, embrace the fact that uh, if they're not voluntarily doing a very good accessibility check, uh, then they need to understand why they need to. Great information is hugely important in this area. Thank you so much, Larry. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks for giving us half an hour of your valuable time. Keep up the levels of energy and enthusiasm and keep doing brilliant things. Thank you so much. Thank you, Robin. Really a pleasure to be here. Thanks. I'll hand back to Annie. Thanks, Annie. Yes, thank you so much, Larry and Robin. And um, there are lots of questions that we hope to answer online in the next few days. Um, and you'll receive an email with the link to access them as well. So just uh, a bit more information that might be of interest for you. Uh, we also run online training sessions on digital accessibility, and you can find out more about those at abilitynet.org.uk forward slash training. And you can use a 10% off discount code available to registrants of our webinars, which is AbilityNet Webinar 1010. And training courses are available for various roles. And coming up later this week, we have on the 10th of June, Accessibility for Designers. Then on Wednesday, the 16th of June, how to deliver and sustain accessible digital learning. And that's um, aimed at HE and FE professionals. Then on the 17th of June, how to use a screen reader for accessibility testing. And then on the 24th of June, how to produce accessible videos. And then um, you can also sign up to our newsletter for the latest announcements about digital accessibility, uh, visit our YouTube channel and also download our podcast. And we have a suite of accessibility services to suit all types of organizations. And then finally, don't forget about our next webinars, which is at abilitynet.org.uk forward slash webinars. So as Robin mentioned, next month, um, you can meet Richard Morton, who is head of accessibility at the government's central data and digital office. And he'll be joining us on the 6th of July. So thanks again, Larry and Robin and everyone that's joined us and please do complete the feedback form that you'll be directed to at the end and we'll be in touch with you. Bye everyone. <laughs>